Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown about President Biden's classified document problem and the fate of Social Security. A cardiologist has some information about diets that can naturally reduce blood pressure and cholesterol as effectively as medication. In about 15 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS10TV, Tracy Townsend presents topics that include infrastructure needs in Ohio. A local mom who's on a mission to have portable defibrillators more available to young athletes, sports betting, and distracted driving. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with Stephanie Hightower, President and CEO of the Columbus Urban League. First up on Columbus Perspective, this week I had a chance, just about five minutes, to talk with Ohio's Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. This happened on Thursday morning, just a couple of hours before U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed a special counsel to look into President Biden's situation with classified documents. In this interview, I asked Senator Brown about that before that decision from Merrick Garland had come down. I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, President Biden with these classified documents in his possession. What what is your take on that? I think the president uh, needs to come forward and say what happened. Uh, It's clear he didn't, I mean, to make the comparison with the former president hiding documents and taking them to a a faraway location, obviously, is not similar. But all presidents should have to be held to a high standard, and that means President Biden uh, needs to explain what happened and uh, make sure that people understand it. I've heard some say that it might be even in his best interest to, to have a special counsel look into this. Do you think that? Yeah, I, I don't have an opinion on that. I, I think that uh, I think once, once the president explains what happened, uh, that uh, this was not done by design and, and, and he's, he's open about it. I mean, when presidents make mistakes, what gets them in trouble is by trying to cover up those mistakes, which is what President Trump did over and over. Uh, president Biden does not have that kind of history to his behavior. And I think on this, uh, he should follow, open up to the public, tell them what happened. Uh, Most people will understand. Members of Congress, senators like yourself, have access to classified documents all the time during things that you're you're doing. Uh, Should there be a broader look into what's happening with these documents when people get a hold of them? Uh, Perhaps. When I, uh, there is one room that uh, members of the Senate that I go to, uh, I give up, I, I, put aside in a, in, a, in a different place, my iPad, my iPhone, my watch, so that not, nothing can be taped in these, these secure rooms. I'm not allowed to take anything out of it except notes that I put in a box also in the secured room. So we are very careful about it. At least I am. I think the great majority of my colleagues are. It's, it's um, presidents are obviously in a much more complicated situation that much more that they do is confidential and classified and top secret. I wanted to talk to you for a second about the Brent Spence Bridge, obviously a huge project in Cincinnati. And what did it feel like to, for, to have such a bipartisan representative there standing in front of that bridge? Well, Senator Portman and I have been working together on this. He, a Republican, I, a Democrat for uh, 10, 15 years, really, maybe even longer. And uh, it was thrilling to have President Biden there. Um, because it took this president with this Senate to bipartisanly uh, build by pass the infrastructure bill where this $1.6 billion investment comes in. It was exciting to stand with Senator McConnell, Governor DeWine, and, and the governor, 
Governor Bashir of Kentucky. So it, it's really what bipartisanship looks like. You work together on it. Uh, you can announce it together. Uh, I don't agree with Senator McConnell on much, but I agree that this is really important for uh, for the American economy. Three percent of GDP crosses over that bridge every day. And we know that's central to Ohio's economy and much of the rest of the Midwest. So speaking of bipartisan efforts, uh, you know, the Republicans have control of the House now and they're talking about tinkering with Social Security and Medicare. Is that an issue that the two sides can come together on at some point? No, I think every time Republicans take power, uh, they immediately start the process of privatizing Social Security, Medicare and the VA. Uh, They've tried to do the VA at Chillicothe and other places by moving people out of the VA. They they've um, and they're they're trying it again. It looks like in the House with a move to privatize Social Security, Medicare, Medicare and Social Security have have worked wonders for senior citizens in this country and for disabled people. Uh, They should be inviolate. They shouldn't be politicians shouldn't mess around with them. They they have um, they are built to last. And uh, I, I just don't I don't trust what House Republicans want to do with Social Security and Medicare, nor, nor does the American public trust. Them. So if, if one of the solutions someday is, you know, th- I mean, this whole Social Security was set up back when people didn't live like they do now. If you were to increase the, the beginning of Social Security to 63 instead of 62, starting in 10 years, it would save a bunch of money. Why isn't something like that done? Well, the. Uh, Republicans always say talk about saving a bunch of money, but what they're talking about is private privatizing. We have we have um, updated Social Security, we modernized it. People do live much longer than they did in 1940 when the the retired teacher from Vermont got the first, I believe, $23 Social Security check. Uh, we've updated, we've modernized it. People pay in more, they get out more. Uh, we can, with minor adjustments, without privatizing, without. Uh, making people wait till a much older age to get it, um, we can fix, we can make the adjustments we need. It's not a question of fixing Social Security; it's a question of making adjustments and modernizing it. When I hear Republicans talk about fixing, uh, always substitute the word privatize, and that's really what we're what they want to do. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for your time today. Sure, appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, thanks buddy. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. 
A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Dr. Charlotte Pratt. She's the Deputy Branch Chief of the Division of Cardiovascular Sciences at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. How are you? Very well, Dave. Thanks for talking to us. We're going to talk about diets and how they can help folks with blood pressure and and other uh, health issues. Uh, This is becoming a bigger deal, I think, these days, isn't it? Definitely. You know, I was looking at the um, statistics in Ohio, and uh, quite a number of people have, uh, about one in three, have uh, hypertension, and about one out of uh, ten people uh, have diabetes. And the DASH diet and the uh, therapeutic lifestyle diets are really will be very helpful uh, to people in Ohio across the country. So the DASH diet, uh, which DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, uh, what are the main elements of that uh, that folks can do to eat better and lower their blood pressure? Yes, uh, the, the, the DASH diet, uh, in addition to also the TLC, they both are science-based nutritionally sound diet plans, and they are very heart-healthy. And they provide, they support or or encourage eating more vegetables, fruits, and whole grains, and also limiting the amount of of sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, increasing low-fat, low-dairy products, and, and fish, poultry, beans, nuts, and, and vegetable oils, and limiting how much saturated fats. And these are fats that we see in, in fatty meats, full or whole uh, fat dairy products and cheeses, and uh, limiting intakes of uh, foods that have coconut oil or palm oil. And if uh, people adapt this sort of diet, and eat healthy, uh, how much can it lower somebody's blood pressure? Can it get them off medication? Well, that's a very good point, um, Dave. Dutch diet has been, known, has been found through the scientific research to reduce blood pressure levels by as much as 20 points. And, and those people with, who have high blood pressure even gain uh, more around that 20 points uh, range. But the range oftentimes has been between uh, 3 to 20 uh, points reduction in blood pressure levels. It's always very important to see your physician once a year to measure um, your primary care physician to take your blood pressure and also take your blood pressure at home so you know what levels they are. But certainly, yes, uh, even people who have been found to have high blood pressure Following the DASH diet has always been very, very helpful in lowering blood pressure even more. Yeah, 20 points is uh, significant. Uh, so what about salt? How, how big of a role does salt play in this? Salt plays a big role, and I'm glad you asked, Dave. Um, even it, uh, Some of the research that Heart Lung has done shows that 
even for those following the DASH diet, when they lower their blood, uh, their uh, salt intake to about a teaspoon of salt daily, they even have even much better reduction in hypertension. And they move more towards the 20 points range than the three points uh, range. So I, I, uh, I really recommend that people not only follow the DASH diet, but also limit how much salt they take daily. Talking with Dr. Charlotte Pratt, she's with the Division of Cardiovascular Sciences at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. The TLC diet, uh, which stands for therapeutic lifestyle changes, can lower cholesterol levels. Uh, how does that work, and what kind of food are we talking about there? Well, the, the, the nice thing with the therapeutic lifestyle changes diet is that, is that it also expands on the DASH diet by encouraging us to eat more plant foods, for example, plant sterols, and plant sterols can be found in vegetable oils, seed oils, nuts, nut butter. Uh, some spices also have that. And also emphasizing reduction in saturated fat as much as 7% uh, of the total caloric intake and, and, and emphasizing uh, digestible fiber, um, mainly because the, these plant sterols and, and fiber help to reduce cholesterol absorption in the gut, and that plays a big role in lowering the uh, reducing uh, blood cholesterol levels. And it's been found from um, many studies that people who follow the therapeutic lifestyle uh, diet plan can uh, reduce their cholesterol levels by as much as 20 to 30 points, uh, but it will involve a lifestyle change. The TLC goes beyond the DASH by encouraging portion control and also increasing physical activity and maintaining a healthy weight, all of which uh, play a big role in reducing blood cholesterol. Between blood pressure and cholesterol levels, which are the which of the two are the most urgent to, to get control of? All of them are urgent. About half of the adult population in the U.S. have high hypertension, and this really contributes to more than a hundred and thirty billion dollars in healthcare costs per year. We have about 25% of the population that have blood pressure that is uncontrolled. And so the the blood pressure is important, but cholesterol as well, because the two play a big role in heart disease and preventing blood pressure, reducing cholesterol levels are extremely important in uh, helping to reduce heart disease. I noticed that one of the foods that you mentioned in both these groups uh, were nuts. And things like nuts and seeds and legumes, those are all uh, very healthy, it seems like. You see that in a lot of uh, health food categories. That's correct, Dave. Those uh, are extremely important. Nuts, uh, of course, have uh, calories, but they, they are very good sources of nutrients such as magnesium, uh, and, and calcium, and they play a big role. These nutrients play a big role 
in helping to maintain a heart healthy environment in, in the body and also reduce uh, blood pressure levels and cholesterol levels. Dr. Pratt, if somebody wants more information about these diets, the DASH and the TLC eating plans, uh, how do they, where do they find it? So thanks for asking, Dave. Uh, the Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute's website, nhlbi.nih.gov, if you type the DASH or TLC in the search engine, there are lots of information uh, and resources on the DASH diet. Of course, you can also Google DASH and TLC diets uh, as well. But the Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute uh, cares about everyone's heart. Our mission is to help the public uh, and, and improve public health. And we have prepared these resources that are science-based, nutritionally sound, and heart-healthy, and they are there on our website and resources for everyone. Dr. Charlotte Pratt, she's the Deputy Branch Chief of the Division of Cardiovascular Sciences at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. Thanks so much for your information today. I sure appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start with President Joe Biden's visit to Ohio. He touted his infrastructure plan, which put construction into motion for the Brent Spence Bridge, which connects Ohio and Kentucky and is one of the most heavily traveled bridges in the nation. More than $1.6 billion in federal funding is going to the project. It's been in the works for almost two decades. Several political leaders were at the ceremony to celebrate the next big step. Former Ohio Senator Rob Portman. We're finally going to get it fixed, folks. The unprecedented level of federal support uh, that the bipartisan infrastructure bill has provided, both through the Bridge Investment Act and through the mega program and other programs, has given us the ability to finally move forward with this. And I'm really excited about it. And current Senator Sherrod Brown. This is what bipartisanship in the United States of America should look like and does look like. As Rob said, after working on this for more than a decade, he's actually worked on this for 30 years. I've only worked on this for 15 or 16 years. We're finally going to build a new bridge. The federal government's finally doing its part to make this crucial crossing between Ohio and Kentucky safe and reliable. I wanted to start off the new year at this historic project here in Ohio and Kentucky with the bipartisan group of officials because I believe it sends an important message, an important message to the entire country. We can work together. We can get things done. We can move the nation forward. We just drop a little bit of our egos and focus on what is needed in the country. For decades, people have talked about the Brent Spence Bridge. But folks, talking is over. The bipartisan infrastructure law, we're finally going to get it done. Construction on that project is expected to start late this year. We want to take a closer look now at the impact 
that Biden's infrastructure bill will have on Ohio. The White House says there are more than 1,300 bridges and nearly 5,000 miles of highway in poor condition in our state. Since 2011, commute times have increased by 5.7 percent in Ohio. On average, each driver pays $506 per year in costs because of driving on roads in need of repair. Ohio is slated to receive $9 billion in federal funds to fix roads and bridges over the next five years. But the state says not all of that is new money. Most is what they receive every year. 10TV's Kevin Lander shows us where Ohio is looking to spend it. When it comes to roads, rail, bridges, and dams, Ohio earned a grade of C- when it comes to the health of its infrastructure, according to the American Society of Civil Engineers. By comparison, Michigan and West Virginia scored lower with a D- and D+. According to the latest bridge survey by the Franklin County Engineer's Office, no Franklin County bridge is closed due to structural deficiencies or in serious or critical condition. However, there are areas of concern. Out of the 374 Franklin County bridges inspected, 47 are over 100 years old, 103 are over 75 years old, 11 bridges are rated in poor condition, and 30 are rated in fair condition. Franklin County has several projects planned for this year. Hayden Run Road over Scioto River is a bridge rehab project. Roar Road at State Route 317 involves the construction of a roundabout. Columbus plans to use the funding for this. It's the Link U.S. High-Speed Rapid Transit Program, which provides transportation solutions for a variety of age groups. The goal is to have it in place in the next decade. Ensuring Ohio's roads can support population growth are critical to the state's future. The state's roads and bridges carry the third highest freight volume in the U.S. and are the sixth most traveled. That was 10TV's Kevin Landers reporting. Right now, Columbus is also seeking $12 million for the Safe Streets for All grant. It will fund safety improvements to Livingston Avenue in the Driving Park neighborhood. That project is in the design phase. There are also some plans to use the money to expand residential recycling to a weekly service and request $4 million to fund two waste drop-off locations. There's a renewed effort to get AEDs in every Ohio school. Team trainers and doctors used one at the Bengals game in Cincinnati to get a Buffalo Bills player's heart beating again. DeMar Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest after a tackle. Well, right now in Ohio, there's no mandate that schools have AEDs. But 10TV's Kevin Landers talked with a mom who says she's trying to change that. Automatic external defibrillators can save lives, but they're not in every place where children play. A local mom is working to change that. Go ahead and pass. Who are you passing to? Soccer mom Jennifer Dunaway says she never leaves home without it. I carry my own AED with me. Every field that I'm on has an AED on it because I have my own. Smaller than a lunchbox. If patient is a child, press child button. This portable life-saving unit, similar to the one used to restart the heart of Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin, is something Dunaway says should be anywhere children or adults play but it's not. So that's exactly why I carry an AED with me all the time is because um, I will not be a bystander in that situation. State Representative Richard Brown tried to change the law to mandate AEDs be in every school. And it died in committee and did not go any further. Ohio law does mandate that the start of every school year, parents and teachers understand the symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest 
and that each school have an emergency action plan on how to use AEDs. But the current law does not require an automatic external defibrillator to be at the school. As for Jennifer Dunaway, she says she'll continue to push lawmakers to make AEDs mandatory in school. Cut or tear clothing to expose patients' bare chest. And she hopes what happened on the field in Cincinnati Monday night will force someone to act. If there's only one way to reduce the catastrophic effects of sudden cardiac arrest, and that's carrying an AED, then that's what I'm going to do. While sudden cardiac arrest in sports is rare, it accounts for 39% of children 18 years or younger, according to the Sudden Cardiac Arrest Foundation. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Representative Brown says he plans to introduce his AED legislation later this year. That Buffalo Bills-Bengals game was postponed after the horrible situation there on the field. It's one of the first games that was legal for sports betting in our state. The Casino Control Commission expressed support for DeMar Hamlin, his family, and his teammates. For anyone who placed bets on the game, the commission released these details. Each sports gaming operator has commission-approved house rules in place to govern events that are postponed or canceled. House rules are readily available on all operator websites, mobile applications, and at all sports gaming facilities. You should contact sports gaming operators directly with your questions. Now, where do the profits from sports gambling go? Similar to the Ohio lottery, the money will go to funding schools, but with a twist. Kevin Lander's back now to explain that it's unclear how much each school district will get. Inside Donnerick's pub in Reynoldsburg. I think that the lowest wager when you create a ticket is a dollar. Bartender Brandy Gadrum sees the odds of sports betting doing big business here. It's going to be good for better for business for sure. I think it's going to bring out a lot of people. At this bar, they use the sports betting app Sports Bet Ohio. Others use different apps. Yeah, you can place a bet on literally anything. Once you place a bet on your phone, it generates a QR code. That code must be scanned at the bar for you to receive a receipt that's used to collect your winnings. Right now, we're only doing payouts once a week until we get, you know, the hang of, like, all the payouts. Ohio's entry into the sports gambling world is expected to be a big win for school districts who see sports gambling profits as a way to fund extracurricular sports at elementary, middle, and high school levels. For now, sports gambling profits will go to the General Assembly, who will then distribute the funds to local school districts through what's called the Sports Gaming Education Fund. Some have estimated the breakdown is about $160 to $170 per student from sports betting. What's unclear is if the legislature or the Ohio Department of Education will determine how much each school district receives in sports betting profits. Under the Ohio sports betting bill, distribution of money will be, quote, determined in appropriations made by the General Assembly, but doesn't say what process will be used to make those determinations. Meanwhile, bars like this one are eager to see what the sports betting appetite will be as patrons begin ordering a beer and a sports bet at the same time. I've definitely had quite a few people place bets yesterday and today. Ohio's gambling law requires that 98% of sports gaming profits support public and private schools. Half will go to extracurricular sports and the other half to K-12 education. 2% will be transferred to the Problem Sports Gaming Fund. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine did have a word of warning this week to sports betting services. The governor said his office has already seen ads targeting certain demographics and also offering false promises. 
the companies that are doing the massive advertising uh, need to be aware uh, that uh, they're being looked at very closely by the governor uh, and the Casino Control Commission uh, in regard to the statements uh, that they are that they are making. Uh, we believe that at least in several occasions they've already crossed the line. Uh, my message to them is this will not be tolerated in the state of Ohio. And I've talked directly uh, to the executive director of the Ohio uh, Commission uh, and talked to several other members of the commission as well about my concerns uh, about the advertising that is, that is going on. Ohio Casino Control Commission says it has notified three sports betting companies for violations of rules with their ads. BetMGM, American Wager, and Crown Ohio Gaming are all facing fines for $150,000 each for violating laws on responsible gambling. According to the commission, the ads made false promises about free betting. The main concern is people, especially young people, getting addicted to gambling. We talk with a psychiatric expert with Ohio State University about that concern. Gambling disorder shares vulnerabilities with many other addictions, and these include our life experiences and our environment, and to some extent genetics, but the biggest risk factor really is availability. And what we know is that this recent change has dramatically increased the availability of gambling. It's really put it in our pocket on our cell phone 24 hours a day. Some of the signs that gambling could be a problem, including spending a lot of time thinking about gambling. Lying to conceal your gambling, borrowing money to gamble, missing work or failing to pay bills on time because of gambling. If you or a loved one has a problem, 1-800-589-9966. 1-800-589-9966. Well, it is something that takes countless lives every day, and our own Dom Tiberi is on a mission to put a stop to it. And we need to end this madness. What happened to crackdown on distracted driving in Ohio and what advocates say still needs to be done? Plus, what Governor DeWine vetoed that could change the future of flavored tobacco in the city of Columbus? Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. When a child is diagnosed with cancer, the last thing parents should have to worry about is how to pay for it. This is a St. Jude moment. Calvin got diagnosed June 10th of 2018. He has rhabdomyosarcoma. sarcoma a soft tissue cancer. One oncologist told us if it was my son, we'd go to St. Jude. And within 24 hours, we were on a plane headed here. It's hard to fathom what St. Jude has done for us. They've really given our family hope. For the donors out there, it's just amazing. I never thought we would be in this place. And it's people like you that help us and help St. Jude provide for a family like ours. St. Jude is like the gold at the end of a rainbow, and we are so grateful and thankful for everything. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine signed a law cracking down on distracted driving. 
When it takes effect, texting and driving will be a primary offense in our state. And that means you can be pulled over for even holding a cell phone while you're driving. What the people of the state of Ohio are saying today through their legislature and through my signature is that distracted driving is a killer. It's unnecessary. And if we can eliminate distracted driving, uh, we will save many, many, many lives. Last year, uh, I asked the state legislature in my State of the State speech uh, to pass distracted driving. I told some of the members of the General Assembly uh, that probably at no time in their career uh, would they have the opportunity to vote on a bill, pass a bill, where it was so certain that their vote in favor of a bill would save many, many, many lives. So by my signature today, uh, we will begin to change the culture. We will save many lives. No one will ever know whose lives are saved. But we know with the signature on this bill today that many families will be spared the horror and tragedy of having a call, a visit from the highway patrol or the police to tell them that their child, their mom, their dad, their spouse is dead. And that is exactly what happened to our own Dom Tiberi. He lost his daughter Maria in a distracted driving accident in 2013. Since then, his family has been devoted to teaching students, young people, about the dangers of distracted driving and creating stricter driving laws in our state. Dom was at the state house when that bill was signed. In sports terms, this is a victory. This is a win for the state of Ohio. My prayer is that this will save lives. I believe it will. Every state that has enacted this type of legislation has seen a dramatic decrease in car crashes and deaths. You know, we'll rattle off statistics to you, but I want you all to remember one thing. Every statistic has a family. Every statistic has a mom and dad, a brother and a sister, grandparents that are missing that person. This is personal for me. It has become a mission. Um, We need to change the culture. I agree 100% with the governor. It is so easy to tell you what distracted driving is. It's anything that takes your hands, eyes, or mind off your driving. It is texting and driving. It is using electronic devices. It is eating. It is everything that takes your mind. It's, It's drinking alcohol. It's driving while under the influence of drugs. All those things are distracted driving. You can ask the colonel. He'll tell you it's underreported. I would argue that 80% of the crashes, maybe even higher, are due to some kind of distraction. And we need to end this madness. We are losing our youngest and our brightest on the highways. It's the leading killer of our children. And we need to end this madness. If you would like to learn more about having Maria's message at your school, send Dom a message on Facebook or by email. Now, here's a look at some other bills that got Governor Mike DeWine's signature. Senate Bill 164, which changes the law and penalties on animal cruelty of a companion animal. And it also includes House Bill 462, which bans swatting in our state, as well as the Testing Your Faith Act. 
That's a law that requires Ohio public colleges and universities to allow three days of excused absence every year for religious observances. Schools will also be required to offer alternative accommodations for exams and missed classwork. Governor DeWine did veto one bill. He said no to state lawmakers who wanted a ban on certain tobacco bans. It's been a fight between city and state leaders for months now. It started when Columbus City Council passed a ban on flavored tobacco. Days later, the state legislature passed House Bill 513, which blocked the ban, which leads us to the veto by the governor. What's next? Well, the first question you might have is, can the state legislature override this veto? The answer is no. A new General Assembly has no power to override a veto on a bill from the previous session. So now, 10TV's Brittany Bailey looks ahead to a landscape where cities are free to enact their own bans. This measure is not not in the public interest, and therefore, uh, just a few minutes ago, I have vetoed this bill. That bill was House Bill 513, passed by the state legislature last month. It would have prevented municipalities from enacting tobacco laws that were more strict than state laws. Essentially, it would have put a ban on bans. We're dealing now with young people's lives. Uh, And when a local community wants to make the decision uh, to ban these flavors to protect their children, uh, we should applaud uh, those decisions. In fact, a local community did do that. Last month, just before that state bill passed, the Columbus City Council passed a ban on the sale of flavored tobacco products in the city. It is set to go into effect January 1st of next year. Health leaders spoke in support of such efforts. And there's no doubt that efforts to prevent our young people from suffering from the scourge of becoming addicted to harmful tobacco products is certainly in everyone's best interests. When we talk to kids, when we survey kids that are initiating with these vaping products and we talk to them personally, their number one reason for trying this and starting it has to do with the flavoring. But business owners are now worried about a loss of money or more. The concerns are if they wanted to do a statewide ban, that would have been great. Right now, they're just going to push money out of Columbus into Worthington, Hilliard, Galloway. It's just going to take money away from Columbus. That was Brittany Bailey reporting. We did ask city leaders about the plans to help tobacco shops. Council member Shayla Favor says it's all part of an ongoing conversation. And so how do we prepare our business owners uh, for the changes that are coming down the pipeline? And then the other conversation is how we can assist our business owners um, who have relied on harmful products like tobacco uh, to provide other products that would be more beneficial and uh, that are um, uh, that are sought after. Uh, by our our residents and our communities, especially where we have food deserts and things like that around the city of Columbus. City leaders in Bexley have been talking about a ban similar to the ban in Columbus. The sale of flavored vape products is already banned in city limits. Doctors across the country are concerned about a new COVID-19 strain. We asked the director of the Ohio Department of Health about it. It's our dream for a life that's healthy and clean. Make it green, 
said making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Make sure you test your home for radon. It's easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Senator J.D. Vance, sworn into the U.S. Senate, Vance took the oath of office with former Ohio Senator Rob Portman and current Senator Sherrod Brown standing next to him. Closer to home at the Ohio State House, the Ohio House voted to pick a new speaker. Originally, Representative Derek Marin tentatively won that job, but in a surprise move, the Ohio House picked Republican Jason Stevens. Stevens is from the 93rd District, which is in southern Ohio. Senior officials from the World Health Organization say China's COVID-19 data isn't as accurate of a picture of what's happening. National health leaders warn the new COVID-19 variant is the cause of a surge in hospitalizations. Experts say this new variant, XBB, is the most contagious. Here's the director of the Ohio Department of Health. One of the things we have to remember about this virus is it is, of course, evolving in a way that is allowing it to spread more easily from person to person to person. Really, the question for us should be is how well protected are we, though, from severe illness? And our vaccines are holding up very well in that regard. Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff encourages those who are at high risk for serious illness from the virus to wear a mask indoors and when they are, especially with large groups of people. We thank you so much for joining us here on Face the State, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with information about what you can see at 1130 this morning on 10 TV. Good morning, I'm Tracy Townsend. Coming up on Face the State, a change in the safe haven option for mothers who are unable to care for their newborns. We look at why it's not an option in some places and the push to change that. The 118th Congress got off to a dramatic start. We asked three of Ohio's congressional reps what they think about that and how they plan to work for you. And the governor signed a new voting law into effect, but we have the latest on why some say it's a solution looking for a problem. We'll see you at 1130 for Face the State. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. In a moment, I'll talk with Stephanie Hightower, who heads the Columbus Urban League. Between business life, social life, and her best bud, Loki, Beverly has a lot to focus on, especially while fighting Stargard, a blinding retinal disease. But she's not fighting alone. For 50 years, the Foundation Fighting Blindness has funded research into treatments and cures for blinding retinal diseases, providing hope to people with vision loss. And for Beverly, winning the fight means focusing on what's closest to her. The Foundation Fighting Blindness. Together, we're winning. Help us end blinding diseases at fightingblindness.org. So many times, the lack of basic needs gets in the way of our students. Neighborhood Bridges, a local nonprofit, has developed a way to get school kids basic necessities. Visit neighborhoodbridges.org to make a difference in our student lives. Find your community and subscribe. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Stephanie Hightower, who is the president and CEO of the Columbus Urban League. How are you? you. Good. Thanks for talking to us. The Columbus Urban League, tell us in a nutshell what it is. 
Well, we are a 100-year-old organization. Um, we are a nonprofit civil rights social justice over, uh, organization uh, that has been around for over 105 years. And, you know, we have a steadfast commitment, Dave, to, you know, create hope and opportunity for uh, nearly 70,000 African Americans and um, uh, marginalized people and urban families um, in Columbus and Franklin County. Uh, we are very uh, proud that we offer what we think is an authentic, integrated system of services uh, that work to strengthen families. We help overcome barriers, uh, help people achieve economic mobility. Uh, we foster entrepreneurship, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, and we construct those on-ramps to wealth creation uh, through smart financial practices, and, and we teach, you know, children critical academic and life skills. And the Columbus Urban League is one of the largest and most active urban leagues in the U.S. That is correct. We rank right now in the top five uh, in the U.S. Now, we have in Ohio seven affiliates, which is wonderful. So we have a, a, a group that we, we meet. Uh, we're one of the few states that has a large contingent of uh, active urban leagues. That's fantastic. Now, uh, you mentioned entrepreneurship, and a New York-based nonprofit is collaborating with some local entities, uh, and you're involved in this. It's a program to empower black entrepreneurs in the Columbus area. Yes, we're really excited about the Lonely Entrepreneur Partnership. One Columbus is a part of this. Ice Miller is a part of this, and and really grateful to the support from the PNC Foundation. Uh, you know, we... We have been, ever since the, um, even before the pandemic, we have run a minority business assistance center um, that's a part of the state of Ohio here at the Urban League. And we, from there, we knew that uh, minority-owned businesses uh, have, been, have been marginalized, didn't have access to capital, um, and didn't have the ability to uh, really build capacity for, you know, a sustainable business. And so the MBAC was, you know, our entity to begin to address those issues. And then once the pandemic hit, um, uh, and then with the social justice, you know, movement, the sort of resurgence, but the pandemic really, really um, exacerbated what we already knew as far as lack of access to capital uh, and the ability for black-owned businesses to, to, to sustain, uh, especially in, during the pandemic environment. And so we started uh, helping small businesses get PPP loans. Uh, we, 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 we went to the city, uh, I mean, to the county uh, uh, in the city where they gave us uh, dollars to be able to uh, give those, uh, uh, those black-owned businesses grants so that they could at least sustain their operations during the, the pandemic. Um, one of the things that we also found through that process is that there was a need for us to uh, provide those tools, that technical assistance that is needed to sustain their operations. And so um, this, this partnership, the Lonely Entrepreneur Partnership, is really another way that gives us the ability to even reach more black entrepreneurs uh, through this platform to help them to uh, build the knowledge, the tools, and the support that they need to help grow their businesses. And a black business community is so vital to a city the size of Columbus, and to be able to find and spotlight and empower 
the individuals who can drive that is essential. You know, you are you hit the nail on the on on the head. Um, what we want to do is, you know, our our motto here at the Columbus Urban League is. We want to build um, the, that, that next group of, of, of uh, millionaire business people here in Columbus, because what does that do? What it does is it provides jobs for uh, black and brown people. It also provides um, an economy uh, in, in our neighborhoods. Um, it, it's, it's another way that we can help people get home ownership uh, and build a home ownership. Uh, it's another way for our young people to actually see what they can be by uh, increasing the number of entrep- black entrepreneurs and help them to grow, to grow their businesses. So it's about creating an ecosystem in the black community around business and entrepreneurship that is going to be vital for the success of, our, of us growing and improving um, the, the, the urban core. Now, we've heard in recent years that there is record employment for the African-American community. Uh, Is that as good as it sounds, or are they often not getting the kind of jobs they are looking for or desiring? Well, we we, we do know that. um, You know, what we have found over the last two years is that, you know, black people um, are no longer willing to uh, work for um, lower or, or, or not work for minimum wage jobs. And even the minimum wage jobs don't uh, provide you the opportunity to uh, deal with the rising cost in, in uh, the housing market. Uh, they don't, you can't deal with the rising cost of, of, of gasoline and, and food. And so what's happening is a lot of people are saying, you know, they've already had what they had called a side hustle anyway. So how do I how do I take what was a side hustle and and but really a passion and how do I build that into a small business um, that is sustainable? I can you know employ three or four people uh, in you know in, in the community uh, uh, and, and and grow a business that is essential um, and that's sustainable and and that's what a lot of folks are doing. They're no longer willing to you know work for minimum wage and um, they want to go out here and do their own thing and so that's why we're hoping this program will help to provide those tools and the knowledge they need in order to grow those businesses even and make them even bigger. Well, even though the job market uh, seems to be robust with all the, you know, the job creation going on, this uh, inflation, you know, rental costs have skyrocketed and affordable housing is becoming kind of frightening these days. Well, there is no affordable housing. There's a lack of it, a serious lack of affordable housing. Uh, Folks cannot continue to, you know, work two and three jobs to make ends meet. You know, when we start talking about our young people, when you have parents who have to work two, two jobs, that doesn't give them the flexibility to be home, to be able to parent their children. And then, you know, we wonder why we have a lot of the challenges we have with our young people, uh, being parented um, in our community. And so, you know, we need to find ways where, you know, what we're doing here at the Urban League is, you know, we minimum is $50,000 to walk in the door. And, and, and we're saying to funders and grantees, Dave, that, you know, don't expect us to write a grant and expect people to work for $40,000 and $45,000 a year. Um, and then they're out helping people get jobs or, or start careers, and those people are making eighty and ninety thousand dollars a year. It doesn't make any sense. I might as well go get in that program, right? right? If that's the case, and so 
um, you know, we, we have to look at how we pay our teachers, how we, you know, our early learning teachers, um, all of, you know, um, all of these professions that are providing services for our community. I think we have to be mindful and we have to be more respectful that um, we need to be able to pay people and that corporations need to start looking at what does minimum wage actually do um, for the people that are coming to work for them because at the end of the day, I think you're going to continue to see retention. You're not going to see people going to work in a lot of places where you, everybody's saying, oh, there's jobs, but no, nobody wants to work, um, you know, that, that they don't, they don't want to have to do that kind of work anymore without being valued. And that's what we got to start looking at. How do we value people that go to work every day? Talking with Stephanie Hightower, she's the president and CEO of the Columbus Urban League. Well, this uh, Black Entrepreneur Initiative, the first recipients of this program are going to be businesses that are su- supported by the Columbus Urban League. So you've got a lot of input in what's going on here. Well, that's what we're excited. We, we've been building uh, a pipeline uh, for the last two and a half years uh, of businesses that we know are out there. And so now this is going to give us an opportunity to offer additional assistance to uh, the existing businesses that have come through um, our other technical programs. And this also gives people an opportunity to do this work on their own. We all know that when you're building your own business, uh, you know, trying to take time to go to, you know, a, a, a additional uh, professional development and or technical assistance programs uh, really isn't um, – it, 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 it doesn't help you when you're trying to run your business from, you know, 7 to, to 7 to 7, uh, and you don't have time to go and do it during the business hours. So this will give people flexibility to be able to, to go online, do it at their own pace, figure out what their needs are from a technical assistance, and, and, and learn how to grow their businesses, um, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in, in a more relaxed way. You know, the pandemic was so harmful in so many ways, and yet in one way I'm wondering, uh, especially with entrepreneurs who have all this creative spirit and drive, all this remote and distance learning that we've gotten so much more used to, there's got to be some tremendous opportunities in there that, that people are still developing that could be a springboard to all new types of businesses. Well, that's exactly what this is. That's it. You're, you are absolutely right, and that's what this Lonely Entrepreneurship Program is really affording some people to be able to do. Um, you know, if, 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 if I run a daycare center, uh, but I, you know, I, I want to maybe, you know, open up a new daycare center, but I have to figure out, you know, how to put together what my performance is going to be. You know, it'd be, you know, now I, I, I don't have to, 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 uh, worry about the Urban League being closed or the Minority Business Assistance Center being closed at 5 o'clock. Now I can, you know, go online and open up the platform, you know, at maybe 11 o'clock at night when I get finished and winding down and I can spend two hours trying to figure out how to grow that next business uh, and be successful. So that's why this kind of, this is really important. Um, uh, and, and you're right. I think these these, these new platforms and, and these online courses are definitely the wave of the future. And, and we know that there are a lot of online higher ed institutions already in existence. And so um, now we know why they've been able to be successful over the years, because there are a lot of people who do need to have this, this level of flexibility. Just a couple of minutes to go here with Stephanie Hightower. She's the president and CEO of the Columbus Urban League. Now, this 
announcement was just made in the last week or so. Is there uh, uh, information that folks can find out online about this entrepreneurship program? Yes. Uh, what you can do is get on the Columbus Urban League website, and there will be a link there um, so that you can know how to begin to access the program. Okay. And then a couple of real quick things I wanted to mention. One is you do have uh, a job fair uh, coming up on uh, Friday, August 19th, right? Yes, we do. We do, and we really welcome. We have some really um, some really cool uh, employers that are showing up. Uh, and, again, this, you know, what, 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 what we try to do is allow people to come uh, to be out. This is about community outreach, and instead of people coming, you know, to go into those employers – we try to create that authentic experience uh, for people, uh, black and brown people, to come. Uh, and uh, we help. There's mentorship that goes on. A lot of times people get hired right there on the, on the spot. Uh, and, again, we only, um, we only uh, have companies that come out um, that are, are looking for people that want to start careers, not just to have a job, but want to have a career, and that, you know, there is compensation that is comparable to what their needs are. And so that's, that's really important. So we, we're, we're excited. We will continue to have these job fairs, and so we, we really invite people to come on out. And, again, people can find out more about that at cul.org for the Columbus right. Urban League. Go on the website, and you can and, and check us out and give you all that information. And then the last thing, uh, the Columbus Urban League is receiving a donation that you called transformational. Yes. Uh, one of our longtime donors, um, Alexis Jacobs, um, uh, passed away, uh, but, you know, the years that she and I had an opportunity to really talk about this work that we're doing here, and probably she always knew that I was very passionate about uh, the work here at the Urban League and the mission, um, she saw fit to leave us uh, a significant donation of $4 million um, that will give us the ability to um, to be transformational um, in the black and brown community, uh, to have some real um, lasting impact. And so we're just really grateful that we will have this opportunity to think through what an investment like this will mean for the Urban League, and then how do we make sure that it's utilized um, on behalf of the people that we serve. It's great. It's a lot of pressure, too, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Look, I'll take that kind of pressure, Dave. That, that, you know, I'll, I'll take that kind of pressure. Yeah. Well, I like the comments that you've made about it is that, that you want this to be a, a lasting thing. This is something that, that's going to create like a legacy with the Urban League. Absolutely. How do we maybe, you know, look at, you know, alternative revenue streams that might be able to come out of this? Uh, you know, we are, we are also uh, uh, looking at an endowment that, you know, we would have here that would help support, you know, ongoing programming. So there, there, are, there are a lot of different ways that, that this will create that lasting legacy. This is the largest gift that our affiliate has ever received. And so we want to make sure that it is something that will have uh, impact for a long time to come uh, for our community. That's great. Again, Stephanie Hightower joining us, president and CEO of the Columbus Urban League. Anything else you'd like to add? Thank you, Dave, for uh, helping to amplify the voices here at the Urban League and the work that we do. Thanks so much, uh, and thanks for your time. Thank you. 
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.